This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here is my very price competitive co-host, Jon. Are you calling me cheap? I I said competitive. (laughs) I didn't say cheap. Maybe I'm comparing you with a premium brand uh, podcast co-host. So I'm decent for the price. I'm a good return on investment. (laughs) If only I found somebody to invest in me. Exactly. You're an excellent return on investment. How are you doing, Jon? Oh, we're alive. It's been a lot very stormy the last couple of weeks. And uh, going outside, trees have fallen, but I'm still standing. So I guess I'm mahogany word. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, as we record this, there are, uh, I think we can only say, uh, horrific things going on in the world with uh, the, situa- the global situation unfolding in uh, Ukraine and Russia and while this is definitely not a political podcast, um, our, our hearts and our thoughts go out to anybody and everybody affected by everything that's going on. Yeah, definitely. We usually abstain from commenting on political things, but I mean, there's no way that this can be seen as a good thing. So yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. So with that, um, I think we are ready to start talking about some stuff. But actually, just before we do that, I'd like to uh, give a shout out and a thank you to Kenny, who uh, is uh, a listener, a new listener, actually, who uh, gave us some feedback on our latest episode. So thank you, Kenny. Really appreciate it. Yeah, all feedback always appreciated. I mean, we try to do our best, but if nobody tells us what's wrong, we can't improve and improvement is good. Indeed, and indeed. And speaking of improvement and uh, and change, we're we're talking now about cloud providers, and uh, there's uh, some relatively interesting stats recently uh, released uh, earnings uh, information. Like AWS increased in uh, increased its revenue by forty percent to a somewhat staggering 17.8 billion uh, during the fourth quarter of 2021. Yeah. And um, let's see, Google Cloud increased its revenue to 5.5 billion in the fourth quarter. It's not just GCP, it's kind of Google Workspace and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't know what the uh, Microsoft Azure numbers are exactly uh, because they don't split it out, but Microsoft's entire um, enterprise software plus Azure uh, increased to about uh, 22.1 billion. So the the sort of the status quo has stayed very much the same. Um, the sort of AWS in in top tier uh, and you know, Microsoft in second place and and GCP somewhere behind. But the interesting thing is that while the numbers are around about the same in terms of percentage growth, you know, forty to you know forty percent for AWS, thirty two percent for for Microsoft, and uh, actually there isn't a percentage it's the GCP stuff, but Let's say let's say it's around that sort of monk, that sort of mark. Uh, the actual raw numbers, AWS just continues to accelerate away from the competition. 
Well, they don't accelerate away, but for a long time, these, the little ones were growing faster. And now, apparently, AWS is growing at the same pace, which means that their growth mm. has accelerated more than the other growths, uh, the other clouds have grown. And yeah. of course, this could be a bit of a statistics thing because say, if you're very small, it's very easy to grow 100% because I've got one, yeah. now I've got two, that's 100%. If you got a million, you need two million to grow 100%. And yeah. regardless what sales managers or whatever want to say, it's harder to grow big numbers than it is to grow small numbers. That's just the way it works. Um, so, comment on the uh, Microsoft thing. Uh, you're right, the numbers that they present always include the, the entire enterprise software stuff. That being said, uh, Microsoft is gaining, uh, earning less and less on Windows because Windows is basically free these days. The mm. uh, E3, E5, E7 Office suite packages they have also are being reduced in price and the online stuff is replacing that. And I would kind of agree with them to say that Office Online, the Office 365 offering is part of Azure, just like Google Docs and everything is also seen as part of the Google Cloud mm. thing because it is running on that thing. So it is revenue being generated by that cloud. Gray area, yeah. I agree, but I wouldn't hold it against them there. So I do think that the 32% uh, increase is most, uh, a big part, uh, definitely a big chunk of that is from Azure. Now, I don't think yeah. that it's the biggest one yet, because I think the moment that, although I'm not sure, would you say that the moment that Azure becomes the biggest growth uh, factor of all that's lumped in at the moment, they would split it out to show that the, uh, the clouding is growing that much? Or do you think they would still keep it lumped in together to not show that revenue from Office and uh, Windows, which uh, investors kind of like because it's a steady income? I mean, cloud is pay as you go. It's very much more dynamic, flexible. You can't predict that much. While product sales, even software product sales, are much more predictable. So maybe they'll still keep it lumped in, even if Azure is the major growth factor. I I suspect that I think investors at the moment look far more and put far more value in SaaS revenue and. Um, and cloud revenue as a whole than they do in enterprise software product sales. Yes, but um, they want annual sales. I mean, sure. a lot of companies, and I think that's wrong. A tangent, I didn't think of this before when we discussed the episode before, but hey, um, for me, cloud spend should always, see as, always be as you go. So just start something up, start paying for it. And if you're using whatever you're doing in the cloud and it's making you money, you can spend more in the cloud and it should grow organically. A lot of customers and organizations offering SaaS stuff want to do yearly contracts. And I understand why, because they come from a point of view where it should be predictable. I need to put money aside, have an idea of what's going to be spending. So I need... But that's not how cloud is supposed to work. That's the whole idea where cloud was supposed to change the world, where it becomes pay-as-you-go. And all of these yearly, yeah, looking forward, I mean, you say SaaS is more important for investors. Yes, as long as it's yearly. Because if it's that unpredictable, I'm not going to invest well, because I can't predict. I can't be certain. I can't be whatever. And stock trade. Hey, stock market is never a certain thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that is... I think you're right to a certain extent. I do think that message is also shifting because I'm seeing a lot more organizations moving towards more of a, uh, you know, people still want to do some form of 
annual deal because that's how their budget cycles work basically yeah. it's not it's wrong. not because they want that's to do wrong. it that way that's that's i know i know but that's how that's how accountants work exactly but what i am seeing is that a lot of organizations are working towards now more of a a sort of a cloud commit model where they don't necessarily say exactly what services they're going to be consuming but they just say you know we're going to be spending around about this amount of money with you and then they're able to kind of decide which services they spend more of which then they spend less of that seems to be gaining a lot more momentum that's how they want to do their spending i agree but to get to that number of commit they want to commit to they are going to ask everybody in the company, okay, you, you're using that part. How much you need this year? You're using that part. How much you need this year? So they're basically just grouping it all together to have a big commit, which mm -hmm. means some overhead can be slushed away. I mean, uh, multi-tenant, multi-user environments are always mm -hmm. cheaper than individual silos. But to get to that commit number, they're still doing the, you tell me this year what you need, you tell me this year what you need. Yeah. And as you said, yeah. it, they're doing it to map a new technology paradigm on top of an old-style bureaucratic... Yeah accounting scheme and that's blocking a lot of innovation because a lot of smaller projects just don't get started because i just start something new i think it's going to be cool i convince my my management or whatever of the coolness factor yeah, this could make us money now tell me how much money you need for the next of for the rest of the year if i overestimate yeah. i do it badly i underestimate i do it badly uh, let's call the whole thing off. I see it happening <laughs> a lot, way too often. I would like. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's it's true. Like there's definitely a a pull push dynamic between the way that companies run their accounts, their budgets, and everything else, and the way that cloud consumption operates. And the the cloud commit is a band aid at best, I would say, to try and to try and allow the flexibility of consumption but it's still i agree like it still is a um a number that someone is going to aim to consume over mm -hmm. that year and yeah go above it then you're into overages or however however your you know particular vendor of choice describes it and yeah that's you know, money that is not budgeted. So how do you how do you figure that out? Yeah, and also the driving factor of trying to get that number is to get the discount. Because the holiday of doing the yearly commits is, well, if yeah. I get bulk discounts, then I'm going to do it. And I kind of hope that cloud vendors out there, and I'm just talking about the cloud hyperscalers themselves, but any SaaS company on top of that, stop giving yearly discounts. I mean, it's not going to happen because it's an incentive. It's uh, it helps the impulse buy, and I I get why we do it. But from a technology, how to use this stuff more efficiently, whatever, it would be better if we, if they didn't do that, so people don't feel this urge to have a yearly number, but just have an idea of okay, I'm a company. I'm predicting a certain revenue stream coming in, and I'm saying I'm going to cut like 10% is for R&D development, whatever you want to call it. So basically, that's the money, put it in the cloud. Here, guys, there's credits, do stuff. Mm. But that's, of course, so, too liberal for most people. Yeah, well, something that, that was kind of, was a little bit interesting in this article, I think it may be worth a bit of conversation, is... There's a comment in this article that says, uh, or that, that talks about the fact that 
lots of people believed that cloud infrastructure services would basically become commoditized and that AWS's sort of what they call first mover advantage, you know, being first to market with this kind of, uh, this kind of offering would wear off mm -hmm. as buyers released, realized they could get the same performance and reliability from other clouds with the software that, or the services they need. Now, the, I think that that is still probably true, but I think that people were probably expecting a, that shift to happen more quickly and B expecting the, therefore expecting there to be not quite such a large gulf between the three cloud providers. And I think a, I think it does take a lot longer for that, that first mover advantage to evaporate, deteriorate, you know, dissipate, whatever you call it. But the gap is so large between the three cloud providers at this point that even if, if they carry on growing at the same static percentages, like the AWS will continue to be significantly more dominant forever, as far as I can see, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, but I mean, Amazon isn't a fool. Yes, they had the first uh, mover advantage by having VMs, IaaS available, and a lot of people yeah. jumped on that. And once you're in the cloud provider, it's not a vendor locking thing. It's just, it works. I'm not going to move around just for the heck of it. I'm going to stay where I am. So that advantage will definitely stay for a long time. Now, Microsoft and Google had their own first mover advantages. Because Microsoft, I mean, I, I, I used to be at Microsoft, so I know more about them. That's why I talk more about Microsoft. It's not because of a preference or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. But Microsoft had the first mover advantage, I think, I find, I, I believe, of having SaaS in the cloud. Because Microsoft always knew that Amazon already had the IaaS advantage. Mm -hmm. So just putting VMs out there, we're not going to get anything from that. Or we just have to be the cheaper cloud, and that's never a good, uh, good idea. So they went very heavily on having more services, more more, more. CICD kind of things, things that were more automated, things like that. So going away up from the IaaS to the pass layer. And they had a first mover advantage there, which helped them grow Azure very quickly in the first couple mm -hmm. of years. Yeah. Now, as I said, Amazon isn't a fool. They saw this happening and they saw the first mover advantage that Microsoft obtained due for the SaaS platform. And in the last couple of years, Amazon has invested heavily on putting, for good or, for good or worse, open source projects in a SaaS solution on their cloud to kind of capture that as well. And I think that we're seeing here is a combination of things. One, the thing I'm just explaining, the idea of, okay, they're now also doing the SaaS thing. So, okay, now there's no longer a choice of, I need a more SaaS approach. I'm going to go away from Amazon. No, I can stay at Amazon for that or even move them. So they have the same, and that's why they grow at the same rate now. And I also think that looking at numbers today, after a year and a half or two years of COVID, it's always going to give you a kind of a different picture. I'll be very mm -hmm. curious to see what happens in the next 12 to 18 months when people are no longer working in uh, from home or a lot less from home probably. And people kind of finally get a moment in time to take a breath and kind of look at what they've been spending money on and if it actually made sense or not. So, yeah, I'm very curious to see how that's going to change the... The dynamic, for lack of a better word, in the next couple of fiscal quarters. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Well, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about one of Jon's favourite topics: oh, no. artificial intelligence. Uh, in this particular case, it's uh, it's not uh, highly polished white robots like in uh, iRobot uh, with Will Smith jumping around. No, it's uh, rather dull algorithms. But never mind. <laughs> algorithms are dull. Uh, Come on. Oh, they're dull. Anyway, so this this we found a, an article in Forbes that was talking about uh, the topic of do companies have to adjust to AI or vice versa, and the it starts off with a um, a, a sort of a, a fact or a survey that was done some time ago that one in ten. Uh, businesses are enjoying significant benefits from AI implementation globally. Now, I, I, I just want to mention times. this. I mean, yeah. they actually have significant benefits between air quotes, well, physical quotes in this case. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, there are so many things that I find spurious about this this particular opening comment uh, in this article. At the core, I suppose my position is I just don't believe that. I think the number is way higher than than ten percent. But it depends what, what yeah. significant means. Yeah, I That's... know, I know, but I I, mean, I do think that AI is baked into so many things now that like if you're using any of those services, there then is you're no AI benefit. in this pencil, and there's more pencils in the world than computers. I rest my case. <laughs> You would make a terrible <laughs> lawyer. I'm just saying. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So, I, I just, I just don't. I think it's very. It's all in how the question is asked. Like it's all in the the devil is always in the detail in these kind of surveys. You know, yes, the audience surveyed and everything else, but artificial intelligence, and machine learning is just baked into so much that like are these did they survey survey organizations and businesses that are i'm sorry the the most advanced thing we have here is fire uh, in which case sure definitely but with you know yon's love of of chat bots and uh, <laughs> i was right uh, <laughs> and uh, and so many other services having sort of ai built in i just I just don't believe those kind of numbers. Yeah, but apart from the numbers, if I, I want to pull it back to the title of the article. Do companies have to adjust to AI or vice versa? Because if you're right and AI is everywhere, does that mean that companies need to adjust to it? Or should the AI adjust to how companies are today? I have an answer. What do you have? Well, I, th I think the, the answer depends on what particular service it is you're consuming or using. I think there are some things that you can just plug in with very little uh, adaption to your company. I think there are some things that if you want to adopt and be successful with, you'll have to make radical changes to your to, to your company and your organization to make the best use out of them. So I don't I don't think it's a a black and white sort of uh, answer. It's not a black and white if you look at all types of ML and AI out there. But if you make it of mm -hmm. a general idea of uh, will the 
advent of AI mean that companies need to adjust? I would say resoundingly yes. And I can give mm -hmm. you a very simple example there. The Ford Get Motor Company. They invented the, 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 the thing, the, the, the belt, uh, what's the name again? The, Timing belt? No, the, the, just the, the, all of the people standing at the belt and I do this, you do this, you do that. They, they kind of had the automated assembly, assembly line? lines. Thank you. I'm not a native English speaker, sorry people. But they invented the assembly line. They revolutionized the entire car industry. Now, is the assembly line ML? Well, kind of was for those days. Those days, it automated something in an intelligent fashion, I guess. ML could be seen, or AI could be seen as the same kind of disrupting mechanism. And if you don't adjust your company to what ML can offer, well, if one company does, they're going to outpace you, assuming that the ML does what it's supposed to do, of course. But there will, because there's so much ML out there, there is ML that works very well. There is ML that's applied very well. Some of ML is just hype, some of AI is just hype, but not all of it is. So I don't think companies have any choice but to adjust how they work to it. And we already see that. We see, for example, couriers. I just uh, mm -hmm. read an entire rant this morning about couriers now just leaving packages on your doorstep and not even ringing your doorbell anymore. Yes, one of my people said, but that's a result of the pressure they're under. They need to do more mm. stops and less time, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because ML algorithms are dictating the routes they take and have decided that you need an average of X point Y seconds to do a delivery package, so you need to do X amount of delivery packages. And the reason that this is happening is because companies are adjusting to ML and AI. Mm, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the whole uh, conversation, bringing it back to uh, Amazon and, and the cloud wars is, is uh, the Amazon fulfillment stations and the pea bottles is uh, is the the thing that comes back to that. It's all about efficiency of uh, you know spending less time in bathrooms and and sort of making sure that. And basically, as long as you remember that ML and AI is just a expert form of statistics, which is an expert form of bookkeeping. The mm. only reason these things exist is for efficiency, performance increases, even very small ones. Because companies are so big today, as even a small incremental change is big money. So yeah, it will have an effect. No way, there's no way you can not uh, adopt to it. Is the good thing? I'm not saying that. <laughs> so, the one of the other sort of questions or subtitles on in the article is about how AI adjusts to organizations. Like how do you how do you see that? How do you see? I can see AI being implemented and that adjusting organizations, mm -hmm. but but AI. How do you see AI adjusting to organizations? In the same way, I just talked about why annual cloud subscriptions should go away, because mm. some companies are just stuck in their ways and they. They see this AI doing fantastic things at other companies, so we need AI. It's going to make us a lot of money, but the AI needs to work the way we used to work before. It shouldn't change anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good idea. Have at it. Your competitors, competitors will be very happy with you. It shouldn't work that way. Now, on the other hand, I would replace business with legislation, uh, Morris, uh, mm. culture. Yes, AI should adopt to local customs and culture and things like that because using an algorithm works well. In Indonesia, put that in Paris, eh, it ain't going to happen. Now, since a company is an expression of culture, 
and habits. I guess in that point of view, you might kind of put it in there, but I doubt that that's what the article means. Mm. So what you're actually telling me is that uh, that I was right all along and companies either have to adjust or don't have to adjust to AI depending on the AI that's being consumed. Thank you very much, Leon. That's all the time we have for today. <laughs> Man, that was a... That's bad journalism because I started with saying that there's good and bad ML and there's good and bad things. But on general, ML will always make you adopt to the presence of ML in today's world, ecosystem, reality, whatever you want to call it. But um, even if you have to change the AI towards the company, your company will still have to change for the AI and not the universe, I think, something like that, whatever. Whatever. Dave was wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's a wonderful place to wrap this up then. Yes, because if we start agreeing on disagreeing, that's the end of all that's good in this world. And as we mentioned at the beginning, the world is in the worst state as it ever was. So let's not go there. With that, if you have nothing else to add, and I don't think you do, it's all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast. You can become a patron. Contributions do help. You send us feedback. Send email to roaringalphan.org. Tell us how we can do things better. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit notification bells, do YouTube stuff. Dave still loves all that good things. And you can follow me on Twitter using the roaringalphan tag. And with that, um, until next time, I guess my name is I will never adapt to ML, John. <laughs> and my name is Adapting to AI, Dave. <laughs> Yes, AI is better, I agree. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye-bye. See you then. <laughs>